Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Brazil, the United Kingdom, the United States, and a see you in hell that's a celebration of a dead fascist from Japan during World War II. Starting out in Brazil, the Brazilian election is coming up this weekend. It is Sunday, October the 30th. Some of the polls show that it's a margin of error dead heat between the incumbent, Jair Bolsonaro, who is a right-wing, quasi-fascist, racist, sexist, homophobic, terrible ideologue, and his opponent, former President Lula de Silva, who is a populist, sort of center-left figure, and who is also involved in arguably the largest political uh, corruption scandal that the country of Brazil or kind of most modern democracies have ever seen. All of that said, if you are a voter in Brazil, go out and vote for Lula on the 30th. Uh, now, uh, we cannot have more of the Bolsonaro presidency. And also, if you are in Brazil, please be careful of yourself and your loved ones. There is a very serious chance of increased political violence in that country during and around the election. Speaking of such political violence, this week a an ally of Jair Bolsonaro, a man named Roberto Jefferson, uh, was in a standoff and a shootout with the Brazilian police. Jefferson was at one point a fellow deputy that is a member of the lower house of the Brazilian Congress uh, from Rio de Janeiro, which is where Jair Bolsonaro is from. He engaged in a shootout with federal police uh, as he resisted arrest. His quote, and this is me quoting him, is that he had to resist arrest in the name of freedom, democracy, and family values. He had been under house arrest uh, after being released from prison for the fact that he incited mob violence, uh, like anti-democratic mob violence. This uh, act predated the ascension of Jair Bolsonaro to the presidency. Now, a judicial committee said that he could go into this house arrest, but then they said that he had to go back in because he had verbally threatened and insulted one of the female members of the very judiciary that let him go into house arrest. Uh, so he was told to go back to prison and he said he wasn't going to do it. So he engaged in a shootout with the police. He shot up a police car. Or he threw grenades at them. Two federal police officers were injured. None were killed. Bolsonaro and his allies didn't really know how to deal with this at first. You know, at first they sort of like said that uh, they were trying to brush it under the rug. But then as it became clear that popular opinion thought that this was completely insane and terrible, they condemned Jefferson on a more thorough level. This is essentially the latest in a series of terrible self-owns for the Bolsonaro wing of Brazilian politics. Bolsonaro has been making terrible missteps in this election cycle. However, even so, some of the polls show that it is a dead heat between him and his opponent, Luigi Silva. Some of them instead show that Lula could win comfortably by a couple percentage points. Moving on to the United Kingdom, we have the ascension of a new prime minister, a new leader of the Conservative Party. His name is Rishi Sunak. He is among the wealthiest prime ministers of the United Kingdom in history and is also its first non-white prime minister. Specifically, his parents are of South Asian ethnic descent, and they were born in former British imperial possessions in East Africa. However, this does not mean that his policies aren't going to be right-wing and conservative, or that he won't use his position in order to prevent the creation of 
protections and rights for immigrants or people of color in the United Kingdom. Moving on to the United States, there was a political event that was going to be held at the University of California Davis campus. This is the campus of the University of California that is close to the capital of that state, Sacramento. It was going to be uh, a speech by a man whose name is coincidentally Davis. His name is Stephen Davis. He is a formerly leftist uh, firebrand for the Turning Point USA organization. Uh, he converted to the right wing and is now a spokesperson for TPUSA. Uh, TPUSA is an organization that operates on campuses in the United States as a sort of go-between uh, between extremist fascist factions of the right wing and the sort of normative mainstream Republican Party attempting to pull it further and further right. Stephen Davis's plan was apparently to speak out about how, how systemic racism is a lie perpetrated by the left in the United States. This is a common talking point from Stephen Davis. He had been invited by TPUSA, but protesters at Davis stopped the event from happening. And this resulted in clashes and conflict between protesters and people who were dressed in the manner that Proud Boys dress. This means this has led a lot of people to suspect that Proud Boys were actually present at this event and that they were trying to protect Davis and the other right-wing and conservative figures who were present there. The University of California Davis and TPUSA claim that this is an attack on the freedom of speech. However, those who tried to stop the event claim that it is a prevention of the kind of physical and real violence that results from this kind of speech. Probably the most direct corollary to the event at UC Davis that was planned was the attempted speech by Milo Yiannopoulos at the University of California Berkeley campus several years ago, which was also stopped by counter-protesters. Moving on to more Proud Boy violence in the United States, there have been multiple trials and hearings throughout the country about the involvement of various police officers in the Proud Boys. Some of these have been in Northern Carolina, another one was in Chicago, Essentially, the police departments involved have been trying to sweep under the rug the involvement of their fellow officers in the Proud Boys, which, again, is a fascist organization that is a street gang, a violent white supremacist nationalist street gang whose goal is to, like, remake United States society along a misogynist, sexist, anti-queer, anti-democratic line. Uh, so, you know, they, 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 they fit right in line with the politics of many police departments. Uh, the police departments involved have been saying essentially that they don't want to deal with this because it would be very hard to eradicate this kind of ideology from their police departments. Once again, evidence, as always, that police departments and fascists are often hand in hand if they are not literally the same person. Steve Bannon, the chief strategist and ideologue behind Donald Trump's victory in 2016, and also an important ideologue for the extreme right since then, has gone to directly threaten uh, Anthony Fauci and his family with, quote unquote, payback after the supposed, you know, Bannon predicted victory of the Republican Party in the upcoming midterm elections. This is part of the right wing's tendency to threaten literal physical violence when they are worried that they will lose or when they think that they are going to win. Because this is the big difference, and this is the big difference between the extreme right and the mainstream right. The mainstream right is willing to play by the rules. You know, if they lose an election, they'll lose it. The extreme right is not 
interested in playing by the rules. They just want to win. They want to win by whatever means they possibly can. That means that they are willing to engage in threats of physical violence, that they are willing to participate in physical violence for political goals, which is the definition of terrorism. Speaking of, the United States authorities that determine safety of polling places and elections, uh, so that this is a, a large set of institutions in the United States, largely under the Department of Homeland Security, they've been warning about a lot of legitimate, credible threats of physical violence against polling places and against the people who work at them in the upcoming midterm elections. There have been specific threats against the people who count ballots, against the people who uh, determine whether or not ballots are valid, against the people who move ballots around. In states like Arizona, there has been a lot of footage of just armed men standing outside polling places, you know, the, the, the legally prescribed 100 feet outside of the polling place that, that they're allowed to be. Exactly what it is that they consider themselves to be protecting, you know, I'd like to say that I don't know, but but I do. They, they claim that they are protecting the quote-unquote legitimate vote, by which they mean the right-wing vote, by which they mean the Republican vote, a vote for Trump and his coalition. As a reminder, this midterm election in the United States is extremely important for the fight against the right wing, not just in the sense that there are multiple races in which extreme right wing candidates are pitted against mainstream conservatives, you know, mainstream conservatives who are Democrats, or in which right wing conservatives or extreme right wing people are pitted against uh, actual liberal progressive figures in the Democratic Party. But the important thing is, on a national level, if the Republicans take control of the House of Representatives, they could dismantle the January 6th Special Election Committee, which has just gotten around to trying to get Donald Trump to speak in front of them. They've just gotten around to giving him a subpoena. If the Republicans take control of the House, they could either dismantle this entirely and prevent these hearings from happening, prevent these subpoenas from going through, prevent Donald Trump from having to answer for what he has done, or... Uh, as some of the members of Congress have already suggested, they might actually be able to use the January 6th Special Investigation Committee to investigate, quote-unquote, Democrat crimes on January 6th. You know, they'll be like, well, what was Nancy Pelosi doing? Or like, you know, why weren't, you know, like, why weren't they doing blah, blah, blah? Or like, it's claiming that it was a false flag, shit like that. In fact, Nancy Pelosi was in uh, an undisclosed location, desperately trying to get the National Guard to come in to prevent fascists from kidnapping and murdering the vice president. Um, but, you know, that's the point. That is what these people actually want. And if they win on November 8th, that might be what they get. Going to move on to See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, we are talking about Nakano Seigo. Nakano is the family name. This is an East Asian name. Uh, Nakano was a Japanese fascist dissident in the pre-World War II period and during World War II in Japan. Nakano was born in Fukuda uh, in Japan in 1886. He studied language and literature at Waseda University and eventually became a journalist. He spent several years as a journalist, making broadsides, making speeches, writing books, writing articles, and was a fierce anti-establishment figure. He was opposed to the ruling conservative establishment of Japan and was in favor instead of a sort of personalist, fascistic regime. 
He thought that the Meiji Restoration, which was a period of westernizing modernization in Japan in the late 1800s, he thought that it had led to a sort of stagnation and an abandonment of the most important traditional values in Japanese culture and society. He specifically highly admired a group of samurai that he thought were uh, emblematic of the traditions of Japan during the Meiji Restoration, a failed coalition that tried to stop some of the more westernizing branches of the uh, country's movement towards westernization. In 1920, he joined the Japanese parliament and worked with reformists in the parliament. Uh, but by the 1930s, he had shifted away from this sort of like reformist branch and had become significantly more extreme right-wing. Now essentially an open fascist, he formed one of Japan's most clearly fascist organization, uh, the Kokomendome, uh, which promoted a corporatist, anti-Western, authoritarian, militarist perspective on Japanese society. This worked and was organizing for several years until an internal split, uh, and in 1936, uh, he formed the Tohokai, uh, which was an attempt at a mass fascist party in Japan. After the formation of the Tohokai, he met with Adolf Hitler and Mussolini and several other fascist ideologues and leaders because he was styling himself as, you know, a potential Japanese version of this particular type of leader. However, by the 1940s, what had been a series of East Asian wars in Japan, you know, their conquest of various parts of China and their uh, invasion of several Pacific islands had transformed into one of the theaters of World War II. And the Japanese government had similarly cracked down on the kind of dissidents that Nakano represented. By the 1940s, the Japanese government was dominated by the coalition of Tojo Hideki, uh, who was in comparison a much more mainstream conservative than Nakano was. Nakano plotted against Tojo and his alliance in the parliament and was arrested for it in 1943. Nakano confessed to his involvement in this conspiracy to overthrow Tojo and was essentially given a coerced opportunity to commit suicide rather than to have his family be threatened by the military police. And so Nakano Sego died this week in history, the 27th of October, 1943, of suicide. So Nakano Sego we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really enjoyed the podcast, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism spelled out in all one word. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism15. You can also reach me on email at 15minutesoffascism at gmail.com. And again, that's spelled out in all one word. All right. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you next week. 